Hello, everybody. It's a Thursday. Episode number 172, Brian Sussman Show. What? It's not Thursday where you are? What's the matter, you? <laughs> well, this is our big Skyjack series, and we're getting ready to wind it down because Earth Day is just ahead. Now, Earth Day, of course, April 22nd. That's the anniversary of the birth of Vladimir Lenin, who was, as I mentioned before, but it's just, first of all, thank you for being here. That's first and foremost. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I know there are lots of podcast choices out there. It's a competitive industry, I tell you. Do you realize most of the people that do podcasts have no listeners? Then there are a few of us that have a few listeners, and then there are a few of them that have lots of listeners. But the bottom line is most people don't make any money off their podcast. So why do it? I do it because like for the last 20 years, I was broadcasting every day, four hours a day, every morning. So it's kind of in my system to knock out a 30 minute podcast is uh, it's like therapy. I enjoy the heck out of it. I love sharing the information that I share with whoever's listening. And quite frankly, I'm very blessed to know that there are some of you listening out there, but most people doing podcasts do not make any money. So why do you do it? Well, for me, it's a labor of love, it's therapy, it's enjoyment, and it's branding. At the same time, there's a little bit of branding involved because I am in the process of writing another book, and I do hope that people will purchase that book and read it and share it. And the book will have to do with the environment. It's going to have to do with the atmosphere. And at the same time, it's going to do a little bit with, shall we say, religion and spirituality. Well, my contention, and I wrote about this a bit in Climate Gate, and I wrote about it a bit more in Ecotyranny, is that for a lot of people, green is the new religion. It, it has all the components of a religion in terms of uh, shame, <laughs> in terms of uh, reward, and in terms of doctrine, because the green agenda is loaded with doctrine and a lot of false doctrine that flies in the face of reality, like with certain religions, especially cults. And on top of that, there is a system of doing good and doing bad. And if you do bad, you can have, uh, you can repent and uh, pay penance by, you know, downsizing, smaller carbon footprint, planting a few trees, that kind of thing. So there's shame, there's reward, and then there's the promise of utopia. And I'll get into that in more detail as these podcasts unfold. But when you look at the whole, and I think maybe, maybe I'll do this in tomorrow's show. Just depending on how much I cover today. I may do this in tomorrow's show. It may be a sustainable development blowout. When you read about sustainable development, sustainable development is, is not about recycling. It's not about, uh, you know, getting an electric vehicle. Sustainable development is about creating a world that is like heaven. It's heaven on earth. It's a world where there is no poverty. It's a world where everybody has a house. 
It's a world where everybody is well-fed. It's a world where everyone has a, a universal basic income. That's, that is sustainable development. You have to realize this. And that's the goal of the United Nations has been since, oh gosh, the 80s, maybe even the 70s, the Brundtland Report, Our Common Future, which again, I'll talk about in that sustainable development podcast. But then on top of that, uh, you look at the World Economic Forum and what they have to say about sustainable development. Their, their entire reset model is based on sustainable development. And it also includes, I should just tell you, vaccines. Now, this is where some people would say, oh, you're getting off the rail, vaccines. No, you don't understand where they want to go with vaccines. There are uh, very popular bioethicists who believe that a vaccine could be and should be used to cause people to not want to eat meat. Because if you have people who don't want to eat meat, they say that will solve a lot of the greenhouse gas problems. Greenhouse gases from cow flatulence. Greenhouse gases from um, the mechanization that's required to, to raise animals, etc. So I'm not making this up. But again, climate change, the climate agenda, agenda, global warming, has all the unique characteristics of religion in so many ways, shapes, and forms. That's why I personally like to say, and somebody may be listening right now saying, well, you're religious. You're one of those Jesus guys. Uh, well, if I may, just for a moment, I believe in relationship, not religion. I have a relationship with the living God. I'm not into a religion that says, do, don't, do, don't, do, don't. If you don't, you, this happens to you. If you do, this happens to you. It's a relationship. Big difference. I'll drop it. I'll move on from there. We'll talk about sustainable development. But in the meantime, I do want to talk about Al Gore. So in the last podcast, I was telling you a little bit about Al Gore and things from his movies that are just so way out there. And it requires a lot of faith to believe what this guy's oftentimes saying. But Al Gore has said this once he was lecturing in Germany and he said the entire North Pole ice cap will be completely gone in five years. Now, that was like 15 years ago. Whoops. Wrong prediction. But in his film... Uh, Inconvenient Truth, he refers to the Arctic as the canary in the coal mine because the Arctic, Arctic is one part of the world that's experiencing faster impact from global warming than elsewhere. That's what he says. And then his proof in the movies talks about a submarine trip that he claims to have taken to the North Pole. Now, maybe the submarine trip really happened. I mean, after all, the guy was a U.S. senator. The guy was the vice president of the United States of America. Maybe he arranged for this sub trip. There's no verification it ever happened, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for just a moment. Okay, it happened. But maybe it didn't. <laughs> so here's what he says in the film. I went up to the North Pole. I went under that ice cap in a nuclear submarine that surfaced through the ice like this. And then he shows a picture of it surfacing through the ice. The thing started patrolling in 1957. He's talking about the submarine. This thing started patrolling in 1957. They have gone under the ice and measured with their radar, looking upward to measure how thick it is because they could only surface, in other words, the submarine can only surface, 
where the thickness of the ice is three and a half feet thick or less. I'm reading this verbatim. That's why it's a little clunky. So they have kept a meticulous record and they wouldn't release the record because it was national security. I went up there in order to persuade them to release them and they did. Okay, now let's just start for a second. There's this nuclear sub up at the North Pole. It measures the ice. It's patrolling the area. Al Gore says they keep meticulous records of the ice. And they've had these meticulous records since 1957. He said these records are top secret. They couldn't be released. Even though he was, for example, a U.S. senator and even though he was vice president of the United States. So they can't get the records. So he said, I went up there. I guess he's referring to the North Pole. I went to the North Pole to persuade them to release these records. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then he says, here's what the record showed. Okay, so somehow he got the records. Starting in 1970, there was a precipitous drop off in the amount and extent and thickness of the Arctic ice cap. It has diminished by 40% in 40 years. There are two studies showing that in the next 50 or 70 years, in the summertime, it, the ice, will be completely gone. <laughs> okay, again, it's, it's difficult to confirm Gore's personal voyage on a nuclear sub and the Navy somehow bowing to his request to release classified information that Al would be able to use in his... <laughs> In his blockbuster film, Inconvenient Truth. <laughs> but here, <laughs> come on, you got to admit, this is, this is crazy. The history of the ice at the North Pole should not be based on one submarine's observations <laughs> that only stretch back to 1957. In fact... Arctic temperature records indicate, I'm just giving you a fact, Arctic temperature records indicate the warmth of the 1930s equaled or exceeded average temperatures recorded there after 1970. In the 1930s, that's the hottest decade on record, okay? In North America, that is the hottest decade on record, the 1930s. Throughout much of the Northern Hemisphere, the 1930s, hottest decade on record. (laughs) Hotter than anything we've seen since 1970. So that's just another part of Gore's claim or claims. That's, That's just cuckoo. As for the thickness of the ice, it was not accurately measured. Forget, forget the submarine. The ice was not accurately measured until satellites became available in 1979. So he said they've been measuring this since 1970, precipitous drop-off. We had the submarine up there before that, going back to 1957, meticulous records. I went up there to go get the records. I wanted to use them in my movie. (laughs) Let me share one anecdotal because Gore loves the anecdotal. So do I. I found this. It's in my book, Climate Gate. It's hilarious. It's a Navy photograph taken late winter 1959. It reveals a United States submarine. It's called the USS Skate. It's floating like a cork 
in iceless waters at the North Pole, late winter, 1959. Okay, so this fly, this, this is just one example. Maybe this is the submarine he was talking about. I'm guessing it was. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, I've got a photograph of a U.S. sub at the North Pole, and there's no ice in the water in winter. It's really interesting because sea ice has only been monitored via satellite since 1979. So when he's saying we have the least amount of ice in history, that's what Gore is saying. History only goes back to 79. Forget all those other hundreds and thousands of years before that. Let me, let me tell you something else Al Gore talks a lot about, and so do the environmentalists, polar bear extinction. See, everything I'm telling you, this just this makes it like a cult-like religion, doesn't it? Because this stuff is it's zany. It's cuckoo. Polar bears. Polar bears are fascinating creatures. They're stocky, long neck, relatively small head, rounded ears, short tail, white fur coat, truly one of a kind, no predators where they live. The male is much larger than the female, up to 1,600 pounds, in fact. Standing up, they're about seven feet tall. And they travel long distances over vast and desolate expanses, generally drifting on oceanic ice flows and then jumping off one piece of ice and swimming to the next. By the way, they are incredible swimmers. Um, incredible swimmers. The polar bear is the animal kingdom's largest, most powerful carnivore. No natural predators, as I mentioned. No fear of humans. They're incredible animals. Here's what Al Gore says in his film. A new study shows that for the first time, they're finding polar bears that have actually drowned, swimming long distances of up to 60 miles to find Arctic ice. Okay, first of all, a 60-mile swim in a day for a polar bear is not unusual. I'm just telling you that. Now, his narration in the film is accompanied by an animated polar bear struggling to climb aboard a lonely sliver of sea ice. And the weight of the bear snaps the ice like a rye crisp and the polar bear appears to drown. I mean, it's another fascinating work of Hollywood fiction. You got little kids watching this and they're frightened and they're fearing for the polar bears. and They're asking mom and dad to donate money. But again, I, I found this really interesting. So I did a little digging. Gore is referring to a 2004 account of four polar bear carcasses found floating in the Beaufort Sea just off the coast of Alaska. I mean, that's what the, the assumption has always been. And that really did happen. There were four polar bears in 2004 before his movie came out, spotted by researchers. And uh, this had never been seen before. Now, Polar bears, again, hardy swimmers. How did this occur? So I just did some digging. And I looked at the 2004 records. And I looked at um, the account of the polar bears and when that took place. And by all accounts, it took place in September of 2004. So I looked at the September 2004 weather summaries from the National Weather Service. And they talked about a monster storm from the 19th, through the 20th into the 21st, 
which brought incredible waves and incredible high seas. Friends, I'm just telling you, the account of the polar bears lines up with the weather records that there was a monster storm in that area. The polar bears were not killed by a lack of sea ice chips because the ice was melting. They, they died because they were swamped by three entire days of incredibly high winds and rough seas, the likes of which had not been seen in a long time. So again, that's just, that's just a little ditty you need to know about. But then we could also talk about the temperature record. And we could also talk about the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. And I've done both of those things in this Skyjack series. <laughs> but the actual Earth's temperature record, I just have to let you know, is also very, very recent. And most of the world's thermometers were put in place after 1980. And the best, the, and many of them put in place at, at warm areas like, you know, downtowns and um, tarmacs of airports. But all that aside, the most accurate way to measure the temperature on the earth would be via satellite. Just like we could measure ice via satellite. Those satellites didn't go into effect until 1979. The problem is, the satellite record for temperature keeping is not acknowledged by the body of scientists in charge of the record because, my opinion, it's not as easy manipulated. It's not as easily manipulated. And so therein lies a really, really tough problem as well. The temperature record is relatively recent and also relatively inaccurate. That's something that uh, the environmentalists don't like to talk about. Like, for example, that warming in the 1930s. They don't want to talk about that. That cooling that took place in the, in the, um, in the 1970s. They don't like to talk about that. They don't want to talk about the Little Ice Age, which ran for several hundred years in the Middle Ages. They want to flatten all of that stuff out. Can I just go through some of the temperatures in the 1930s, by the way? These are all records to this day. Uh, July 21st, 1930, Delaware, Millsboro, Delaware, 110 degrees. I'll just give you a few. Perryville, Tennessee, 113 degrees, August 9th, 1930. Um, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, July 10th, 1936, 111 degrees. Alton, Kansas, 121 degrees, July 24th, 1936. Um, how about uh, Plain Dealing, Louisiana, August 10th, 1936, 114 degrees. Medicine Lake, Montana, July 5th, 1937, 117 degrees. Those temperatures are just incredible. But, you know, medieval warm period, did I say medieval warm period a moment ago or middle, medieval ice? Well, there's a medieval warm period. That's been wiped out by the, by the, um, by the powers that be. For example... You can tell that between 1100 to 1300 in England, they were growing wine grapes that competed well at that time with those grown in France and Germany. You can't grow wine grapes in England to this day. You could grow them then in the Middle Ages because things were so warm. You can look around the Swiss Alps. You can see that above the current tree line in the Swiss Alps, Going up about 1,500 feet, there used to be trees, indicating it was much warmer way back in the day. 
Look at the Vikings. The Vikings had a big break. They were able to, you know, Vikings, it was just a very cold and bitter climate, but things started to warm up and their population in uh, Norway and that the Scandinavian world started to thrive because temperatures suddenly were warmer. And what happened? Uh, you had uh, Eric, Eric the Great, right? Uh, Eric Thorvaldsen, born in Norway, 1950. The, the Scandinavians, Scandinavian. Eric the Red, they actually called him. Um, this guy settled in a piece of real estate called Eric's Island. What was Eric's Island? Eric's Island was Iceland. The Vikings settled in Greenland. The Vikings made it down to the British Isles. The Vikings were taking over everything because they're a really hardy, rough and tumble, adventurous people. And finally, the weather was warming. They got in their ships and went a sailing and a Viking as he used to call it, a Viking, pillaging, taking over. That's what they did. That was the medieval warm period. Then you had the Little Ice Age after that. Okay, here's some anecdotal on the Little Ice Age. There were frost fairs on, the England's, on England's Thames River every year. The Thames River rarely ever freezes, and if it does, it's just a little glaze of ice. It would be a foot thick, they would have fairs on the ice. This was a 450-year period. It went from about 350 to 1800. So you had the medieval warm period before that, the little ice age after that. Temperatures have been going up and down. But again, no one wants to talk about that. And you can't blame it on carbon dioxide. That's for certain. Cannot do it. Okay. BrianSussman.com is my website, my Facebook page, which I really encourage you to like and to follow because I am just so blocked out of Facebook. Uh, that is Brian Sussman Show. And then for daily doses of inspiration, it's my Instagram feed, Brian Sussman Show as well. Tomorrow, let's do our last of the Skyjack series. We're going to blow it out with sustainable development. It'll be the sustainable development blowout. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.